0: Your positive, positive. positive. Imprint. 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 Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Hello, this is Catherine, your host of Your Positive Imprint, the variety show podcast featuring people all over the world whose positive actions are inspiring positive achievements. Exceptional people are rising to the challenge. Music by Chris Null. Check out Chris at chrisnull.com, C-H-R-I-S-N-O-L-E, or listen from Pandora and Spotify. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. Check out my website, yourpositiveimprint.com. Well, next week will be the third Monday, and my guest is from Great Britain. Susie Buttress is a casual birder, sharing the tranquility of birding next week. Recently, I had Javier Robles and Cody Unser on the show. Javier became disabled from participating in a regular activity that we all might have done and Cody Unser's body succumbed to transverse myelitis. Well, I thought I would bring back the research to you regarding the myelin sheath and spinal cord injuries. Not all spinal cord injuries are the same, but Bob Gould's research helps explain the communication with our very intricate nervous system. Your positive imprint. What's your PI? I was over in Woods Hole, Massachusetts, interviewing some ocean climate change oceanographers at the institution with my husband, and we happened to be at this amazing coffee shop that we found, Pie in the Sky, and this wonderful, delightful couple, Marianne and Bob Gould happened to be in there, and we struck a conversation and learned quite a bit about Bob's extensive background in myelin spinal cord injury research. And so we thought it would be absolutely phenomenal to be able to have a chat. And finally, that day has come. Hello, Bob.
1: (laughs) Hello, Catherine. Yeah, I'm very excited to tell you about my life. I grew up in Chicago. I went to school in Purdue in the Midwest, and I moved uh, my PhD to Baltimore. And then I did five years of postdocing in Europe, in Holland, Scotland, and uh, England. And I met my wife there, got married, and had a baby daughter. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I know. Crazy life.
0: Well, so that was like a quick life in a nutshell. (laughs) There's so much that's happening in your area of research that has been happening for years. And it seems like there's just more and more with the spinal cord injury and the brain. What made you decide or what prepared you for this background?
1: Well, it's actually a very funny story. I was maybe in kindergarten and first grade, and they were going around the class asking, you know, different kids what they wanted to do. And people had all these things: I want to be a doctor, I want to be a policeman, I want to be a nurse, a fireman, a baseball player. And I I wanted to be something different. And I sort of wanted to be like a doctor, but I didn't really feel that I had the ability. Maybe I was afraid of blood, so I. So I said, I I wanted something that really helps doctors out, but I'm not really sure what it is. And scientific research, you know, many years later is where I ended up, and it sort of does help doctors, hopefully will have some impact on people with spinal cord injury. I can clarify to say that my research wasn't really on spinal cord injury. It was much more basically trying to understand how the cells in the nervous system make these myelin sheaths that... Coat nerve processes, axons, and let communication occur very, very quickly. So, all the animals that have jaws, which are 45,000 species from uh, cartilaginous and teleost fish up, up to mammals, have a myelinated nervous system, which is quite similar. And animals before that, 600 million years ago, before they developed jaws, actually have no myelin. They just have very large axons. So, they have and animals, which are lasmobranchs, skates, and dogfish here. And I came for another reason, but I got interested in using those as animal models to study the evolution of myelin. I spent every summer here pretty much since 1980, since I've re- retired. And I retired because I did have personally spinal cord injury. We're here year-round in Cape Cod.
0: So now we're going to move on into your neuroscience research and your practices. First of all, we need a, some sort of visual, a good definition, but a visual of what the myelin sheath
1: is. So what myelin does is actually separates. One, on one hand, it's, it's just an insulator. It coats, coats an active process and, and allows things to not cross over from one place to the other. In addition, myelin um, doesn't cover a, ner- a nerve completely. So, for example, the largest nerves in our body run from the base of our spinal cord to our toes, which are about a meter long, and also from our brain to the lower part of our spinal cord, which is maybe at least you know half half a meter long. So there's these very long distances, of which in- a nerve will, s- will try to communicate with a target that's very far away. And so... That nerve is covered by myelin. The it's called an the process is called an axon, and it's covered by little half a millimeter to millimeter long wraps, multiple wraps of myelin. And so the way that the information travels is it doesn't go smoothly along the whole nerve, but it actually jumps from the side of one node of Ranvier to 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 another, and so, so so that they're millimeter long stretches of myelin separated by areas that are like one one thousandth so they called nodes of Ranvier and that's where all the um, energy takes place now all the, all the currents move so by having a myelinated nervous system instead of things flowing smoothly from one point to the other they actually jump from one point to the other so that they only have to be activated in a, in a very small part of the nervous system to travel and the speed is very fast so that the Largest nerves in the human body are about 25 microns. It doesn't really mean much, but they're very thin. They're, say, 25 microns long. And I came to Woodsell actually to study the uh, squid giant axon because they've got very large axons and you can do things. And their size is a 1,000, so area-wise they're um, thousands of times larger. And because they don't have myelin, they... They need to be that large to to send signals at the same speed. So you can't imagine having a, a brain which has fibers that are a thousand times lar- larger. Your brain would just have to be the size of a, a room instead of the size that it is. So myelin's really an amazing in, sort of invention that, that happened about 500 million years ago in this common an- ancestor of all jawed animals. So um, only jawed animals have this interaction between these Leo cells, which um, actually seek out the accents as they get large and generate this wrapped membrane which can be cover an axon with anywhere between five and up to a hundred wraps and be microns long to, to actually visualize to be a millimeter or so from one node to to the other. So they're very large structures and and without them, then we would lose the ability to communicate quickly. So for example, people which have multiple sclerosis and other childhood diseases have either situations where the glial cells don't properly make myelin and communication is, is impaired. Or that the immune system starts attacking the myelin and there are gaps that are formed and communication decreases. And then spinal cord injury, which the reason I'm doing this research is to understand how myelin is made, will help scientists or doctors really learn how to to combat um, spinal cord injury to, to help them get myelin back. And we're not really at that stage where we can get myelin back, but at least we're we're getting a better understanding of, of how myelination occurs, and um, they're actually trying to develop approaches where you could get cells back into the, the nervous system and, and recreate myelin. I, I must say, in my situation personally, um, you know, having had the opportunity, the misfortune of, of suffering from a, a debilitating disease actually so i was riding in woods hole to to a lecture and there was another cyclist and without looking he just pulled in front of me and all i could do was brake really quickly i went over my handlebars and and crashed actually near near the drawbridge in woods hole and um when i regained conscious which was very shortly thereafter i I realized i couldn't move anything from my neck down I, i couldn't wiggle a finger or anything and fortunately i i made very good recovery i used to be a runner and i i can't run but i've been able to get on a bicycle and, and bike and and you know walk around and pretty much do most of the things that everyone else does so my nervous system is not the same as your nervous system because i've i've actually have lost neurons and i've had myelin sheath disappear so i've I have lower numbers of these nerves that allow me to move my muscles. So so there's both a, a motor system which all our muscles are connected to nerves and they all move coordinately because of this very complex system that allows us to move our our hands, our legs and everything else. It also there's a, a feedback system which includes sensory system that tells you you know temperature pain it also has this a proprioceptor system which tells you where your where your limbs and joints are so that as you move you can coordinate them because you get this feedback of where where things are and i've lost some of that but fortunately i didn't lose that much perhaps or there are there is some remyelination and some regrowth where things have re- reconnected so that i'm needing a you know what I would say is a, a very um, fulfilled life. This is for the past eight and a half years now. But if I wasn't wearing a helmet, I, I'm sure I would would have been dead and not have this conversation. So I encourage all of you to wear helmets uh, when you're biking.
0: Your research did it help you to understand your own recovery, or maybe that parts of you won't
1: recover? For sure, I could visualize the you know the the spinal cord before injury what happened it you know there's bleeding there's infiltration of of cells that are trying to re- repair the spinal cord that trying to clear the debris of dying dying cells so I, so i had a a pretty good picture of what was happening in my spinal cord and, and deep down i i knew that you know that th- those things are happening to me, and and I had losses that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to do the, the things that I that I was. I mean, I, uh, for a while I didn't know that I would ever walk again, whether I'd be in a wheelchair, whether I'd be able to do m- much. And uh, after the accident, they said from the damage that there was actually pressure from the the bones that had been sort of moved in my vertebrate onto. My spinal cord, and they said, well, you know, we'll give you a week to decide whether you want to have an operation to free it up and, and help or not. And I couldn't move, and I didn't sleep for the whole week, and I was just too exhausted. And my doctor said, well, you know, if you don't have the surgery, perhaps in a year you you might recover the same, perhaps you might not. But I, I just couldn't have this. I just knew that I, I wasn't, I was just too exhausted Physically and mentally to undergo surgery. So, after a week, I was transferred to Spotting Research, which is one of the better rehabilitation hospitals in the country. And after two or three days, I started moving my thumbs. And from there on, my legs started coming back. I mean, so I was still paralyzed. And they said, Oh, yes, you have five weeks and then you're out of, out of here and we'll do the best, best we can. And I think because I was a marathon runner and was sort of disciplined, I, I did what I could to try to you know put as much effort in, into my recovery as possible. So my legs came back first and my hands much later. I mean, at first I couldn't feed myself. They fed me. And then eventually when I was able to move my arms, they would strap a fork onto the back of my wrist so I could eat with that because I couldn't move my fingers. And eventually when I started moving my fingers, they would Take a a fork and put it in, wrap it in a big thick thing, so I could sort of put it onto it and start eating. And then they'd have exercises of how to, you know, make letters and everything else, and relearn to to write. And I just was very fortunate that that so much came back. And thinking, you know, deep down about you know how my spinal cord was was changed, I was sort of um, in awe that that with all these changes that that all these things have come back. So one thing that hasn't come back. Well, for one thing, I talked about proprioception, and one of the ways to test proprioception is to put a tuning fork on your leg and feel feel, feel vibrations. And two years later, I I did not feel vibrations in in my leg, but now I do feel vibrations in my leg. So, but I don't feel temperature from my nipples down my body I'm um, so i feel it in my arms and hands and upper body but i don't feel it so if i take a shower the first feelings i get in are drops of water hitting my body are like little bits of pain and then eventually it goes away but i i can't really say whether what's hot and what's what's cold so uh,
0: so you could scold yourself
1: Yes, but usually you feel things with your hands. But I mean, yes, I I mean, the advantage is I guess I could go into freezing, walk into <laughs> freezing water <laughs> I don't get it into my upper body, and, but I guess it's not that not good. But, I mean, most everything has come back. I At that time, I was actually doing research in Paris and had planned to go back in September, but obviously I, I couldn't go back. So we ended up staying here. And one of the consequences was that as it got cold, I started getting stiffer and spasms. I was really not doing well in, in cold weather. And so we, not that year, but the next three years, we, we went and spent our winters in Houston, and there was a very good rehabilitation place there. But I like the idea of, you know, living year-round in one place, so we've decided to come back and I've sort of adapted that I don't really have problems, such problems with cold anymore.
0: Wow. Wow. I'm trying to understand the neuroscience part of this. So it was the myelin sheath that was damaged. And so then you had motor neuron.
1: Okay. So, so yeah. So let me try to give you a visualization a little bit. So the spinal cord is um, about 12 inches long and it, and it has two thick areas that are about half an inch thick. There's an upper part in the cervical region and a lower part. And, and the, the thickness is related to all the nerves that communicate with arms and legs. And so it, a da- physical damage is actually, it's called a contusion injury. And what it means is that either by having bones slam into it or simply um, being st- rapidly stretched the nerves themselves, the myelinated fibers with their long axons, are pulled, pulled away from the cell body. So that a nerve contains three types of structures. It's got a cell body and nucleus. It's got dendrites, which receive information. And it's got a long axons to communicate with, with targets. And so the way the spinal cord is is arranged is the central portion, which is actually in a sort of butterfly shape, contains all the motor neurons which innervate the body. And they send processes out, go to hands and arms and and all the muscles. And they're surrounded by um, all the ascending and descending myelinated fibers so that the outside part of the spinal cord is white matter. And it's a little bit random what gets damaged. So there's like hundreds of thousands of fibers that are descending and ascending. And so at the point of injury, which mine was in my mid-neck region, which is called the cervical area, and it's three to five. So it's about an inch long on my spinal cord. Some fibers, a portion of them, get damaged. So everyone has spinal cord injury. It's totally random. What fibers are affected? How many fibers are 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 affected, and how badly they're affected, and what their the recovery. The myelin part of it, it has to do with the fact that as the fibers die, the myelin around them actually has nothing to work with, and it actually builds. Build, you got to get rid of it. It doesn't clear that fast, so other cells come in to clear it up, and they actually take up a lot of space, and they. Prevent new fibers from going through these areas, which are called glios scars, and and reconnecting. Plus, the distances are so large that you really don't get reconnections. In other words, when my spinal cord formed, I was, you know, more or less an em- embryo, so that the distances between the cells, which are in my spinal cord and the and the muscles at that time, were were just millimeters apart. I grew, they grew longer, but they didn't they never had to 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 navigate from one point so far away, so the chance of having a fiber from up above connect is some is something almost impossible. but what happens is that there are areas surrounding areas which where the fibers you know function normally, and what they tend to do is they will reach out and put new branches which will find targets that are not innervated, and so that they will get a little bit of double and triple duty to to sort of get things working again that aren't working. Wow.
0: So you talked about earlier the fact that you really wanted to get into some sort of field where you could help doctors. And now you've been doing this research for decades. How have you been helping doctors yes. with your research?
1: No, there's really nothing... That I could see in the foreseeable future that would magically allow one to, you know, to to do anything major to in spinal cord injury or multiple sclerosis that would give back what was lost.
0: How have doctors been able to use your research to understand the body?
1: So I, I think that what my research does is identifies molecules that are that are functioning. And my research is I write scientific papers and share it with colleagues, and they write papers and share it with colleagues, go to meetings, and, and so forth. And we're, we're trying to understand more how the signals from the axons allow the cells, cause the cells to really make myelin. As myelin is lost, how to recruit, recruit other other cells in, into the the region where, say, if a, if a glio cell is damaged and it's unable to maintain its myelin. Then what you want to do is get other cells attracted to the area and, and make myelin. I mean not every fiber is lost. There's it's this whole spectrum of, of changes. And I, I think so people are able to take, you know, fetal tissue or, or even adult tissue and and have them recommit to becoming myelin type cells. And you know myelin-forming cells, and and so the idea would be to to get cells back into regions where there are injury, that would complement the the cells that were lost, and and then facilitate sort of recreating a, a system where you could have uh, the the nerves. So so if if I if I have we would go back to the idea that I've got a half a meter long or you know a, a foot and a half long nerve going from my brain to my to my spinal cord and, and there's regions of that where the because the glio cells died that that I've lost myelin. Then when the signal gets to those regions, instead of it just moving across quickly, it either can't move across because there's not the the energy and not the the ion channels that allow the electrical signals to, to get through or if or if they do come into those regions the 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 movements are so much slowed down that the ability to 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 do the things or to to make to make the muscles move the way they were before is is slowed and and compromised so that by getting cells to to put myelin back around those areas that are denuded then you can can restore. Function and, and there is work going on going on which you know sort of indirectly my research I mean my research is just a small amount of all the research is going on but is sort of getting a sense of what the cells are trying to do how they do it how they find how their processes find the axons that are the initially that they're going to myelinate so. Thinking back to development, I, I'll go back to the thing where I said that initially, in an embryo, things are are very small and connections connections are made, and the connections maybe first will be made on on muscles that are very large that are important for very general movements like the sort of general swimming or large scale movements, and the more finer movements come later, so that Certain axons that are involved in the large movements, they enlarge first and they get myelinated first. And the other ones wait until they, they you know find their targets and, and myelinate more slowly so that there's a, pro- a progression. And so you don't myelinate an axon until it starts enlarging. So there's signals from the axon that's saying, you know, I'm, I'm ready, come myelinate me. And so we have to really understand those signals. We have to try to understand how the the neurons that are losing myelin, whether they can recreate the signals and attract glio cells. And so right now there's a lot of research at stages of trying to define the molecules, understand what causes the molecules to to be synthesized again and come to the places where they they make this attraction and signaling. So that research maybe is quite a little bit of a pipe dream for saying, oh, yes, we can put it in and, and recreate a, a very complicated nervous system. But it, it does allow understanding um, so that you can understand more what's changed and how to really get it back to repair. And the idea of actually trying to get into this into the systems where there's there's communication between the molecules and augment it so that things will happen faster, things will happen in, in a in a time dependent fashion because there's there's a lot of things going on at the same time. I mean, as soon as you have a spinal cord injury or even some of these um, inflammatory things in multiple sclerosis or development, you have Cha- you you have cha- changes which related to to clearing debris and stopping blood flow and and allowing cells from the immune system to come in and clear. But it's a balance between you know clearing over clearing causing more damage versus not causing more damage and and to understand the character of the cells and how they're able to respond to situations with their which. They're not, which you know, they they never have encountered. So that, whereas my research is basic, there are people that are actually exposing spinal cords of different animals, rats or mice, and having uh, weights drop onto the spinal cord, causing contusion injuries and trying to see what they can do to, to facilitate recovery. And so that, and so the, they use the knowledge that I'm generating to, to apply to those models. Does that help? Yes.
0: And how how do you think the research is going with regard to multiple
1: sclerosis? Yeah. So um, most of the research on multiple sclerosis that's that's been positive. I mean, and I'm not really following that literature. You know, I'm sort of retired. I'm still finishing some scientific. Papers, but I'm I'm not as as broad, so I'm not as up to date as so. So my answer is not at the same level that if I was um, pre pre injury and was still working. But there is on the one hand in multiple sclerosis an immune related response, and the drugs that are around are ameliorating more that phase of trying to combat the immune system. There's less, and, and because it's a whole nervous system and they're just different, re- some people lose vision, some people lose sensory things. It it happens sort of in various places. It's the research from the field of people that are studying you know, neurons and glial cells is, is probably not generating drugs or therapies that specifically would it would more prevent or slow down um, the idea that, let's say, the immune system somehow mis- misrecognizes the nervous system and starts coming in and doing it, attack it. It's sort of on the level of saying, okay, so this person has multiple sclerosis and there's something wrong that his immune system is starting to attack his body. And we can work on pushing the immune system to try to slow it down from doing that. But from the side of, Getting in and having already attacked certain areas and having changes where there's less nerves or less myelin to pinpoint those areas and to really try to to get cells into to recover axons is is still in the I think the dream stage well,
0: Bob, your positive imprint, and i I know you say well your your research has been minimal with what you see it as, but really your contribution cannot go unnoticed. And and I think that, that what you have been doing even, I mean, it's been decades of your research based on the myelin sheath and the ways that it interacts with our entire nervous system. I think that it's incredible. And what type of last words do you have to share with regard to inspiration of your research to the global community?
1: Well, I, you know, so I mean, they're different types of people. I mean, my wife is a very social person, and my daughter is a doctor, and she's a very social person. And I mean, you know, for me to even do this interview or, or chat, I'm not really a <laughs> it, 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 it chatty person. I mean, I became a long distance runner because it just gave me lots of time I didn't have to talk to people and, and be by m- myself, but it it also gave me a lot of um um training and, and strength. And I should say my recovery was partly due to that, but I mean I'm I'm very lucky that I have a, a wife that pretty much has dedicated herself to me. I mean I didn't drive for a year. I I didn't cook. I, I didn't so she's pretty much taken over and, and done a lot and Although I sort of retired I mean I I really wanted very badly to go back to Paris. I mean we loved it I'd love learning the language. I loved the colleagues I had there, but I I've, I've had to, you know, make this a, a adjustment, but I'm actually getting involved in trying to uh, wake up our community to the problems of of climate change. So and it's actually a very active group of people. I mean so I ended up you know living year round in this place, it was my my summer home, and it's a a very uh, lively and interesting place to live and and I'm still continuing to you know to follow the research and to to put my efforts into writing scientific papers and this life is good bob gould
0: Bob Gould, you are a very very humble person okay. and thank you so much for the positive imprints that you have contributed in your lifelong research
1: thank you so much for giving giving me an opportunity to you know to tell my story thank you so much for uh, giving me that opportunity
0: oh absolutely it was all because of pie in the sky <laughs> Thank you. Well, thanks for listening to Your Positive Imprint. My mission is to bring the world of positive imprints to you and to inspire you to find your own positive imprints. Music by Chris Knoll, chrisknoll.com. Well, I appreciate all of you for listening and supporting my Variety Show podcast. Sign up for those podcast updates from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, where you can listen to episodes or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcast, or your favorite podcast platform you've heard our nephew talk at the end of the show, and this will be the last one that he's able to talk on because he will be moving. So are you ready? Okay, so what is it that you always say? Um, what's your positive imprint? That's right. And what do we say to people when we ask them about what their positive imprint is? What's
1: your
0: P- But you have to say it louder. What's your P.I.? All right. Your positive imprint. What's your P.I.?